0: listening to that Jesus podcast. What up, Drew? Hey, Titus. This You're actually supposed to say you're listening to that Jesus podcast or
1: something. If, if someone comes onto this podcast experience not knowing what they're listening to, then they have other problems, I feel like. Also, <laughs> yeah, I kind of- also, we have Brenna saying you're listening to that Jesus podcast right before the beat drops. So I feel like, you know, they only need one uh, explanation of of what they're entering into. Okay, well that sounds good. How's your day going? Um, not great. Uh, so I'm back to mowing, and it just rains incessantly in Virginia these days. Maybe climate change or something like that. And so. I was in this backyard, this gated backyard, looking at a a small swamp in one area of the yard and thinking to myself, self, you should probably not go into that area. And so I was uh, nicely mowing the bank beside the area. And you know how gravity works when you have a heavy mower? Um, I I kind of slid into said marsh. And so that wasn't great. So I pulled my truck around. It's four-wheel drive. I was like, yeah, I can, I can get this thing pulled out. So, and then I got my truck stuck. <laughs> so <laughs> that's when I called my friend Julian Vici, if you're listening, which you're not. And he came with his massive dually truck and uh, did some kind of uh, magic where he pulled a strap around a tree. And it was a whole thing. So... Thank you Julian. Yes. We literally
0: had a similar thing like that. We had I think it was literally a train of like three or four pickup trucks um trying to pull a trailer full of shingles from our backyard right after it had rained and we had to get the trailer out of there and get it dumped and <laughs> one by one the trucks got stuck got to the point where my brother brought his his loader truck over from the lumber yard where he worked at the time and tried to help kind of winch us out. But there are ruts in our yard that um you know, as a professional lawnmower would weep over. But we continue mm-hmm. on.
1: As a professional lawnmower, my yard actually is is terrible. So um, we just moved into our house and just haven't quite done all the good Mennonite property development yet but we're we're working on it we actually live right across the road from a Mennonite church a gospel like Mennonite church so I always think of it as they drive past that they're probably judging us um, so that that adds some motivation to get those nice you know mulch flower beds out front and all of that that good stuff it's the important
0: the lawn is white unto harvest. <laughs> Yes. So I was thinking about our um, podcast today. We're not having any guests. It's just me and my echoey co-host. Um, we wanted to just take a little time to pick up some loose threads or loose ends from some episodes we've done. Uh, the episode with Dr. Finikuru Villa about vaccinations and we might, if we're feeling really brave, touch on the, the lovely pair of episodes we did on Calvinism, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We got some pushback for that one, not very surprisingly. Our dear friend, Blanky Dave, apparently came across uh, a little too strongly for some people. So we might get into that a little bit, but I, we, we do want to dive into the the vaccine episode a little bit. I think most people who listen to it resonated with what Dr. Curvilla had to say about the efficacy and safety of the COVID vaccines, but there was some pushback on what he had to say about the fetal cell lines used in their development. So you've actually looked into this a little more. And so you want to take it away and and explain maybe what Finney got right and what he got wrong since you're qualified to contradict someone with like 10 PhDs or whatever he has.
0: Yes, yes, me with my lowly piece of paper I got from a college in, in Thailand comes comes at the, the good doctor himself. No, I'm not going to do that. I, I really think the bottom line, Titus, is that this is such a complex issue when you get to the margin that it's really hard to state things. You know, even Dr. Cravilla with all of his experience and and his thoughtfulness and his presentation. I think he he may have if he was here with us, which he wasn't able to be here, but if he was, he would probably even tweak a couple things he said just to make things more clear because it's so hard to communicate on on levels like this that are so complex. So yeah, I think the um I think the one thing that was confusing and that we got some pause or some I think helpful constructive pushback on was in relation to, Fetal cells and um, cell lines and vaccines. <clears throat> yeah, one thing. One thing that I think I can confirm, as far as I understand, is that they don't even the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Which, <laughs> if you follow the news, that's a little more uh, suspicious. That people are a little suss about that one, as my seventh graders would say. It's kind of sus, mm-hmm. that Johnson and Johnson. Um, one of. Even apart from the the problems they're seeing with it now, that's the only one I think that was made not... So, so Dr. Kuruvilla said that the Johnson & Johnson was made with fetal cells. Mm-hmm. It depends on how you mean with. According to an official statement I found from the people who made the vaccines at Johnson & Johnson, it was developed and it's manufactured with fetal cell lines but there aren't any fetal cells inside the vaccination you're not being injected with with baby parts
1: so where did they it's, come into the picture then
0: well and this is where i immediately fall flat on my face speaking of things i know nothing about um apparently they it's not that they're grown because it's not so much that they're grown but they're the process to manufacture the vaccine Includes fetal cells that were developed in the eighties, I believe, late seventies, early eighties. Fetal cell lines, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And so that's that's kind of the bottom line: is that is that even even saying that it was made with fetal cells, what does "with" mean? And that just in my mind showed how complicated and convoluted this can be.
1: Um. Yeah, I think the big concern, the big ethical concern is that supposedly vaccines rely on ongoing abortions. And I think people are probably referring to other vaccines, not the COVID vaccines. Do you know of any other vaccines that actually rely on ongoing abortions or is that completely a myth?
0: That's that's just not really even how it works. You don't need baby bodies to keep creating these things. It's you create this this line of fetal cells, or are you harvest, for lack of a better term? I hate that euphemism, but you harvest um, the the fetal cell tissue and use that in the research and development, and then in some cases, the um, actual manufacturing of it. That's what I understood from the um, from the statement I got on the internet's, but. But I would go a little bit. I'd say it's a little more nuanced than that. I think the people who who in sincerity pushed back on the episode weren't actually thinking that you know this these monstrous organizations or companies were were looking for more and more abortion or aborted babies to use. I think we understand that it's not it's not like that. Um, it's not a commodity. It's more of even even if you're talking about half a dozen. Unborn babies that were used in in this process, which is what we're talking about here. Um, you're talking about those those babies. It normalizes it for the future. True, and and so it's not like we're creating a demand by pumping out more and more of one type of vaccine. It's that when we say it's okay to use these, it's normalizing it. And I think Dr. Cruavilla really spoke to this and he said he would love to say, he would love to, to have that stop. But but it is a, it is really a gray area, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, someone who reached out to us had something to say about them not actually being immortal, these Yeah. Fetal cells. (laughs) And that's what I'd love to ask Dr. Caravilla about because I find that
0: fascinating. So I almost felt like, hi, Dr. (laughs) Fenny," I almost felt like he was conflating two different things because as best as I can tell, fetal cell lines are not immortal. They have a, a point of, of death after they've been, um, not reproduced, but regenerated so many times, um, there are immortal cell lines that are generally found in things like um, cancer, cancer cells, like the famous um, Henrietta Lacks, who who had ovarian cancer, I think, and they harvested her her um, ovarian cancer cells. And because of the nature of cancer, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so those cells are immortal. But I don't, I couldn't find. I don't. I don't think that um, aborted fetal cells or fetal cells, period, are considered immortal.
1: I thought Finney said they fused them with cancer cells or something super weird like that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> one one thing. One thing. Getting back to to something a little bit more cut and dry than than um, you know cellular research is um, ethics. <laughs> I, I felt like his murder illustration he talked about how you know if you if you murder somebody is it okay to harvest their mm-hmm. their organs if they said i want to be an organ donor even if they were murdered and i kind of think that's missing the element of consent so i didn't like that illustration quite as well although i knew where he was headed i really did much i really did resonate quite a bit more with his illustration comparing to us being beneficiaries of something that was derived in part from the research around, from research using fetal cells. Being beneficiaries of that is kind of like us being beneficiaries of, you know, the Revolutionary War or Christopher's, Columbus's, you know, oppression and taking over of of Native Americans. I should not put that on Christopher Columbus, but you know what I'm saying? He talked about how yeah. horrible things done in the name of this nation that you and I are, um, at least in some sense, citizens of, and we kind of like being Americans, right, Titus? I mean, did you did you like your did you like your stimmy check from from Big Brother Biden,
1: Brother Biden? Yeah, I want to I want to go back to what you said though. You said something about he missed the element of consent. What what do you mean by that? Because obviously, someone who's murdered is not consent. Well,
0: well, so his illustration was if you have somebody who's murdered and they put on their oh like, yeah. Please- yeah, yeah science it's like well yeah. a baby who's murdered can't do that yeah and and for a mother then to say I consent for my baby who I am consenting to have killed I also consent for their body to be used as science I think that starts to get a little bit um off kilter
1: yeah but, it but definitely one thing I do want to
0: clarify for myself because I don't know for sure maybe Finny or somebody could bring more clarity um, if you look at the history of some of the vaccines that were used, like the MMR series, some of that, it's pretty clear that it was more than incidental remains. Dr. Creville used the term incidental remains. There were cases where there was careful harvesting of fetuses, and they were very the one performing the, the abortion was very careful to abort the baby in just such a way so they would have the appropriate, um, tissue they needed. And this sounds really icky to even talk about, but I don't know if it's quite fair to say that it was all incidental remains. These were abortions done and decide, people decided to have these abortions before they had consented to donate them to science. But when they consented to donate them to science, there was this whole process in making sure the, the baby's bodies were preserved and stuff like that. And so incidental remains, I don't, I don't think that's quite right.
1: It's, it's tough. It's, it's very nuanced. It is a gray area. And I would say that if someone says it's a black and white area, but yet buys $5 shirts from Walmart that were probably producing a sweatshop in China, that they're not being consistent because the fact is all of our choices or some of our choices definitely rely on oppression and injustice and it's almost impossible to get away from that in the modern world and i mean th- this and it's so overwhelming it's actually paralyzing at times i've thought about you know brenda and i like what we can do like I mean, we don't even recycle so like, we, we could start there i guess or you know buying used clothing or fair trade clothing or trying to eat more um you know Meat that is, is, you know, harvested, not harvested, grown in an ethical way. Um, The animals are raised ethically. I I thought about like, how can, where can we even start? And it's, there's so much that we do that probably relies on injustice that it's paralyzing and I do nothing. I just keep spraying Roundup and destroying the earth, you know. (laughs) Um, But that's not a good way to look at it either. So I, I keep thinking, man, what are just a few steps we can take to try to stop continuing oppression and injustice by the everyday choices we make and I, I see this this vaccine discussion as kind of falling into the same vein is like if if you're gonna be black and white on this then at least be consistent and I think Finney is pretty consistent I mean he's a he's a mostly a vegan and, and tries to you know his his investing company is. He doesn't invest in anything unethical, so he he's probably more consistent than a lot of the people who are really black and white on vaccines
0: yeah i I did want to highlight and underline and emphasize his what kind of what he started out with and sort of the baseline of there are actual facts despite a little bit of murkiness around like the nature of the fetal cell. Research and their role in the manufacture of the vaccines and stuff—that's a conversation that that you really do need to to think seriously about. But there are a lot of things that are not true, mm-hmm. and we should not be propagating conspiracy theories and myths. They're not putting chips in our arms. They're not um, taking over our bodies and making us lose all emotion. They're not actually grinding up babies and putting them in um, the vaccine. And it's important for those of us who love truth to put that out, to put facts out, rather than giving this great area, well, hmm, that sounds interesting. It could be true. Maybe there's a kernel of truth to it. Because that undercuts, if, if they can't trust us about something as, quote unquote, basic or you know verifiable as science, are they going to trust us when we say Jesus rose from the dead?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Like <laughs> we're making truth claims that seem outlandish when we talk about the resurrection, for example, and, and when we're clearly not following the truth on other issues like vaccines, it, it undercuts our witness, but it also, we're also contributing to the the ongoing pandemic by not getting America to herd immunity. So we're, we're spreading lies and we're also bringing about suffering in the world. And, and truth and an alleviation of suffering are core to Christianity. So we're actually working against the core of the gospel um, when, when we do this. And that's not to say that everyone who doesn't get the vaccine is like sinning. I don't think that's true. But mm-hmm. I, I do think there's a right and a wrong answer to this question. Um, and it, it does affect our witness. It does affect the world we live in much more mm-hmm. than just like the flu vaccine, for example. Um and that's yeah, why heard, we're doing talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just one more one more
0: thought. This was a, a couple months ago before the vaccine actually came out. And it was about to, and I heard a it was a kind of a talk show podcast thing. And the guy who was on it, I'm pretty sure is a secular intellectual guy. I am sure you probably know his name. I, I can't pull it up though. Anyhow, he said, Hey, from, from an individual basis, if you're looking at vaccines logically, rationally, it makes the most logical sense for you to not get any vaccines. Or not to get the COVID vaccine anyhow. Like that would be the rational choice. If you're if you're in your 30s or 40s, you don't have any, you know, other comorbidities, it makes sense not to get the vaccine because you're probably not going to suffer. That's mm-hmm. it's the tragedy of the commons problem, right? But he said that doesn't mean you shouldn't get vaccines. It means that. You need to take seriously your responsibility to community. And this guy was saying it as as a secularist that there's. I, I feel like maybe we're overplaying it a little bit here, <laughs> but but there's something there's something very fundamentally love thy neighborish about saying I'm going to go get the vaccine to protect the seventy year olds.
1: Yeah. All right, everyone, go get your shots. We've we've concluded this. Let's tie <laughs> tie a bow on this. Yeah. <laughs> I would be curious, like, I wonder, Drew, do you think we have any listeners who are just like anti-vaxxers? I probably oh, yeah. have. We're I'm really, sure we have a lot of listeners who... I yeah, know some of them. <laughs> oh, wow. We probably have listeners who are definitely not going to get it. In fact, I would say a, a large chunk of our listeners are listening to this saying, you know, I'm, I'm still not going to get it. But like, I am hardcore more anti-vaxxers, I don't know. Uh,
0: I, I know some of them personally, and they're good friends <laughs> and people that love Jesus <laughs> too. But... I, I will say my concern is not so much that you get the vaccine in your arm, although I think that's really awesome if you do. My concern is that we love truth, hold to truth, and reject nonsense, conspiracy theories. There Amen. <laughs>
1: and that kind of ties into another thing I wanted to talk about which isn't the Calvinism episode maybe we'll get to that eventually but you know the social media and the way conspiracies spread on them have been a topic that a lot of people have been talking about and, and the problems that social media brings into the world Man, I, I've just been thinking about it recently like social media really is an experiment we, we know almost nothing about it that's why we don't have like a lot of parents and, and grandparents laying down wisdom about social media that their kids are rebelling against or whatever. We just don't have a tradition of, we don't have a wisdom tradition mm-hmm. about social media. And it is an extremely powerful tool. And I'm the, I'm more and more becoming an anti-social media person. Like I, I'm just not sure like what, what the point of it is anymore. And at least personally. So I've been thinking about this. So i one of the reasons why I I use social media is to promote this platform and promote content that I'm trying to get out of this podcast, for example. Mm -hmm. But is that really what Jesus did with his ministry? Did he like do his best to get his teachings in front of as many people as possible? And was he thrilled when like thousands of people came to hear him as opposed to hundreds? Probably not. So I'm not sure that that's a good reason for me to be on social media. And I, I've, and you can respond after I give all my arguments against it.
0: Okay. I'm taking notes.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I've been analyzing like, why do I even post on Facebook? I mostly use Facebook. If I'm posting something funny, I want people to think I'm funny. I want people to laugh. If I'm posting something controversial, I either like to get into a debate in the comment section because it's, it's fun. I love debating. Or I I want affirmation, like I'm, I'm I crave a bunch of comments that say Amen or something, you know, well said, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm dividing the church by promoting controversy, and I'm I'm narcissistic by wanting people to affirm me. Other than that, like I I don't know what I use social media for. Like I I've actually I met you on social media, so I guess there's that. I know there have been good things that have come from it. But does the good really outweigh the bad? And we were both part of this uh, meme community, Dank Kingdom Christian memes, that we recently both left, and that was a that was a really interesting experience for me because it it was this online tribe where we all got each other. We we thought we were, you know write on some very important issues, social issues, political issues, theological issues, even though we disagreed on some issues. And we would like gang up on ideological opponents and different threads online and try to own them. And it was a bonding experience where I I loved it. But there's something kind of unhealthy about that, because I think that's how like QAnon got started. It's this group of people who think alike, who find each other online, who form this echo chamber and go after their ideological opponents. And it's happening across the country. I think it's what's dividing the country. Mm -hmm. And so after leaving that, that group and that community somewhat, although I'm still friends with with people I met on there and I really do value those friendships, I, I felt more peace. I felt more at rest. Like I don't feel like I always need to be checking my phone, um, and I, I'm, I'm seriously, I deleted my social media apps. I'm seriously getting close to just deactivating my accounts and kind of becoming a monk. <laughs> I'm, I'm so done with controversy. I'm so done with debates online. I'm done with politics. I don't know, maybe I'm just burned out and I'll get back into it later. But I, at least for my spiritual health, it just has not been beneficial. Mm-hmm. So there you go.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I, my journey has a lot to do with recognizing that there's a mismatch when I debate somebody or argue with somebody. I've loved arguing and debating theology since my, I mean, since before I was a teenager, I was quite precocious. Um, and these days, part of the reason I stepped away from some of my engagement on Facebook and social media is because the things that I'm arguing about are more often than not things that actually make a difference in people's lives. Like it's all fun and games to talk about, you know, to have a debate about like women's roles in church, like so much fun for guys to argue about whether women should be allowed to, to share a testimony or whether they can preach or lead a Bible study or whatever, just, just fun conversations for guys to talk about. Right. Right until you actually get to know women who are oppressed and find that they're, they actually believe that their relationship with God has to be mediated through a man. And then it's not fun anymore to have a debate because it actually makes a difference in somebody's life. When, for example, you and I would kind of disagree on young earth creationism, right? I would tend to be a little bit more take, take the, um, Book of Genesis Little, the Bible and you attend to the, um, this is a beautiful picture. Why do you have to be so wooden in interpretation, Mr. Latin? And we can have a fun conversation about that until somebody comes in and they actually believe that unless you subscribe to a Ken Ham, Kent Hovind interpretation of Genesis 1 through 3, then you're going to hell. And then it's not fun to argue about anymore. And so that mismatch really makes it hard for me to not to, to not get inappropriately emotionally engaged
1: there are so many scriptures about controversy and stirring up dissension and division in the church that i do not think we take seriously enough i enjoy debate and I'm, i don't think that theological debate is always unhelpful Dude, you told or unhealthy that's what you did <laughs> yeah i know but i've I've gotten away from that podcast for a reason. <laughs> I think there's a place for it, but th- th- there are so many passages about stirring up division and how that is that is a sin, a very serious sin, and needs to be taken very seriously that i, I just don't think that we understand that. like a, a lot a lot of the way I used to interact on social media and a lot the way a lot of my friends interact. I, I just wonder like how how do we slash they? Even mm-hmm. apply those verses. What do those verses mean if, yeah. if not what we're doing on social media when we're constantly getting into these fights? Like I, I don't, I don't know what else those verses could be applied to if it isn't applied to that. So, I, I, and I'm, I also started listening to Francis Chan's latest book on unity today. I started listening to it on Audible, and it's just really good, really convicting. He has such a passion for denominational barriers to come down and for a unity in the church and i just want to publicly confess that i don't think i've contributed to unity in the church through my online interactions Mm -hmm. and so i i want that to change i i want to call out evil when something's evil like if you're calling out national christian nationalism for example sure that needs to be called out but i feel like i've called that out enough now (laughs) To where like, if I keep making a, a big deal and arguing with people about it online, it's, it's not really me being prophetic. It's just me wanting to fight, you know, mm-hmm. and me wanting to argue and, and have all my friends say, oh, wow, Titus really owned that conservative bro, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, as we've come back together um, in our little church community here, a very broken community with a lot of hurt and a lot of triggers. The, the joke we have right now is that the word trigger, like you trigger me, that word trigger is triggering to us now. Um, but, and it's not really a joke. Um, as we come back together, we're like, there's so much hurt. There are so many raw emotions, so many things I've done that have hurt you and so many things you've done that have bugged me. How do we move forward? How do we navigate the landmines in our relationship? And the only thing we can come down to is to say, well, we're probably gonna step on each other's toes, we're probably gonna step on a landmine, but we're gonna do it while we're centered around Jesus. And so we come together now, um, as a as a little group. There are about half as many as we had, you know, six months ago. And we just sit down and and sing a couple songs in rather lame fashion, but we sing them from our hearts, I guess, and a cappella. our we, uh, we have a piano at church now. Oh. Um, we do, but it needs to get tuned. And since we just moved it last week, we're kind of waiting for it to settle down. And we have to find a good piano tuner. So, yeah, we I actually can play made- one
1: song on piano. I can play "How He Loves Us" by David Crowder.
0: It's actually John Mark McMillan, but okay. Yeah, whatever. Um,
1: <laughs> that is true. Anyway,
0: I always hate that when somebody's like, oh yeah, this guy has this great song. And I'm like, no, he just sang it. And maybe he did an okay job singing it, but the true brilliance is the guy who wrote it. Anyhow, Um, (laughs) but yeah, the only thing we have to hang on to as a little group is we don't know what else to do except love Jesus and love each other despite the uh, C-R-A-P around us. (gasps) I wow, know, that was we'll have that to was pretty edgy. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Don't don't write that out with your children in the room. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: you were talking, and you and I had talked a little bit about your struggle with um, promoting the podcast and you know wanting to see audience size increase and stuff like that. Yeah, is it's that so new... gross? Tell me why you think it's gross, though. I guess you already
1: did kind just... of. Yeah, I don't I don't see Jesus doing that. Like Jesus purposely tried to to get people to to not follow him. It seems like, you know, he whenever crowds gathered, he would lay down some of his harshest teachings. He only had 12 well, 12 close followers when he ascended and, and 120 more loose followers. And that's not a big crowd and he could have had a lot more people if he would have promoted his platform and, and watered down his message.
0: Well, I think he did have, you know, thousands of people following them. And as we pre- as I preached through the book of Acts, we were just talking last Sunday about, I mean, these people were, were selling their houses. And as best as we can tell, they were selling their houses in the book of Acts because they weren't living there anymore. They were living in Jerusalem. You had thousands of people following Jesus. Because the message got out and it was no mistake that they were gathering in Jerusalem during the feast at Pentecost when you have people from the four corners of the world of the known world coming together to receive the message. So I I think what you see, though, in Jesus isn't that he was self-promoting. As much as he did make the message accessible, you know, Matthew five, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, the crowds were coming to him in another place and he gets onto a boat so he can still talk to them from the boat without them just stampeding him. And so I think there's a difference between self-promotion and making your message accessible to people, but it's a fine line boss. (laughs)
1: Well, I mean, getting on a boat so people can hear you is a lot different than like paying for promotions for a podcast. Or our,
0: our actual platform name, like the platform our podcast is distributed through, is Anchor. I think that's a sign.
1: <laughs> wow, I, I guess for me, it's it's there's a whole package of things that have I kind of put in the same cupboard. It, it includes my desire to. Have podcast listeners. It includes my social media interactions and my interest in politics and my love for controversy and debate. To me, it's just it's it's all some it's all stuff that actually relates to God and is theological on one level. I, I'm I'm not tempted by like having a big truck and a nice house. And I don't care about any of that. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm interested in ideological discussions and theology. But but all those things that I just described, even though they are related to the kingdom in some loose way, Mm -hmm. they always just give me like a bad aftertaste to where I'm like, I, I really don't think that this stuff is what Jesus wants me to do. And then there's other things that even though they're harder, they give me more joy. And that's when I come back to a, a more simple life. So, this value of simplicity is something I've been thinking a lot about, and especially reading John Mark Comer, some of his books, and um, just the example of like the monastic movements and these guys who would just be alone seeking God, like just for mm-hmm. huge amounts of time and would engage in voluntary poverty and humbly serving others like mother Teresa. That to me is way more attractive than Carl Lentz and these, these flashy guys. And, Mm -hmm. but, but I, I totally Mm -hmm. get it. I get it. Why Carl is, was doing what he was doing. I, I get it. Why like James White is on Twitter fighting a culture war. It's exciting. Like I could totally be that guy. I could just spend all my time and I, I'd probably be pretty good at it, but it's it's gross to me. Like it, it's seriously, I I don't I don't feel fulfilled when I do that. And I I really want to pull back from that. I'm I'm kind of glad that I got into it because now I understand why people do that, and I feel like I'm a little more culturally aware, maybe. But I I really want to pull back and and be like other people I know who love God and are serious about their faith, but just are very culturally unaware, (laughs) you know, just just blissfully ignorant of what's going on in society. Um, Maybe that ignorance isn't good, but but Mm -hmm. they're just not attracted to that. That doesn't grab their attention because they have their priorities in other places. And so I I really want to try to reorient my life in that way.
0: Yeah. And I think, I don't want to agree with you too much here because I, I do feel like I I totally agree and appreciate and approve of your process. But if this is where you land, I think you're missing a bit of the picture. On the other hand, I think one piece that you're saying that, that makes a lot of sense to me is this idea of, I don't need to be fighting battles that aren't in front of me. Like, um, Next next episode after this one, we'll, we'll be talking about um, sex and gender. And we have the very famous Dr. Preston Sprinkle coming on. And, and he's high profile. And it's a hot topic to talk about transgender identity and sex and purity culture and all that, right? But if all we're doing this series for is to get clicks because it's a hot topic, I think that's creating static. I think that's some of what you're frustrated with. If, on the other hand, like myself, um, you actually deal with people who struggle with gender dysphoria or who embrace a transgender identity altogether, then it's real. And you actually want some wisdom brought into that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why, like, uh, not to pick on the good Dr. James White, but do you really think Dr. James White actually knows personally anybody who is transgender? Or who identifies as gay?
1: I don't Let's think not that's talk a about point. James White. I've been having a good evening.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just think that there's a need to fight the battles that are present and that are real, rather than you know boxing shadows.
1: Yeah, and and the fact that you're a pastor and I'm a twenty-something aspiring missionary radical, somewhat ascetic, probably makes a difference here. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I, having, having been very um, drawn to the siren song of solitude over the years, a uh, oh, nice alliteration, Mr. Latin. See?
1: <laughs> siren, siren song, of, song of, solitude. of solitude. Can we call this after show the siren song of solitude? Dude, that is, a, that is a sermon title. That is a book okay. title.
0: Hey, we're not self-aggrandizing here, dude. Um See, we can't even get to a conversation with me without me patting myself on the back. I'm the one who's messed up. Um, yeah, well, you said
1: yeah. With it.
0: i i've I've been drawn to the the sweet seduction of silence. Oh gosh. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> Jump the shark on that one. Anyhow, but there's ultimately if we're so focused only on our on how I feel about my relationship with Jesus and how I feel about how good I am as a Christian, like abiding in Christ or whatever that that's selfish in the end. If it's about my emotions and my evaluating how I am with Jesus, there's a place for that, but that's where it stops. It's just another form of narcissism. Mm
1: -hmm. Everybody.
0: Everybody should go and read the very long short story by Leo Tolstoy called "Father Sergius." I think you can even get it on like LibriVox or whatever, and have somebody read it to you, Titus. But right. he has this really profound story of a monk who goes off by himself, and he fights, um, he fights sexual temptation by cut. Uh, spoiler alert: by cutting off his finger.
1: I thought you were going to say something else. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. There's a slight possibility that Leo Tolstoy used the finger as a stand in for what Jesus would have recommended. But carrying on. Um, Jesus did recommend cutting off your finger. Your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. I thought you were. So, okay, go on. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Go and read it because he really shows in this story, the, the limitations of like a S an inward focused spirituality. I'll leave it yeah, at that.
1: And I think that that's another danger. I, I agree. So that, that's a temptation for me to just obsess with how I'm doing with my own spiritual disciplines. And when you do that, that defeats the purpose of the spiritual discipline, which is supposed to focus you on the glory of God, you know? So is a catch 21 catch 22 what's that phrase and what does it even mean where does it come from drew
0: it comes from joseph heller's novel catch 22
1: but what does what, and what it
0: means the... it, it means you can't have something without not being able to have it. it it it's kind of like i i could pull up the actual quote from joseph heller yeah, but, what, but does,
1: what what does catch 22 have to do with that like
0: it 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 was it was actually a military term so you probably shouldn't be using it on this podcast. But the idea is that like the only way you can get what you want is by putting yourself in a position where you can't receive it.
1: Wonderful. Are we going to talk about Calvinism yet or should we wrap this up? Oh boy. Uh, we got a really,
0: a really thoughtful letter um, that pushed back against brother David Iker. And, and as I've thought about it, I'm like, if we're going to do this, we really should have David back on. Um, but the day is such a
1: great, he's such a sweetie. You can't, I mean, he's a sweetie. He's not a sweetie toward the ideology of Calvinism, but he's genuinely a nice guy. Even if he came across a little harsh.
0: Yeah. I think, I think this, this listener's basic argument is that what you heard from David Blanky Dave was that, um, Calvinism makes God a moral monster. And the listener's argument or response to that is whether or not we think it makes God a moral mo- moral monster is not sufficient reason to reject it.
1: Do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I agree with, I agree like a baseline with what he's saying. And I think if Blanky Dave was here, he would be like, well, yes, but it should be a red flag. Yes. And if if our, he um the, the listener used the example of hell. And he's like, I struggle with hell. I feel like hell makes God a moral monster. Well, and there's something I, ECT I up, <laughs> there's something that makes me want to cry out and say, This is immoral and cruel of you to condemn someone to hell. Yet I submit my own personal feelings to what I believe is the revealed truth in scripture about God's perfect judgment of mankind at the end of time. And he also talked about same sex unions. And so he says, "I am I am arguing that for Dave to say that this contradiction shows the illogicality of Calvinism is faulty." So,
1: yeah, I agree with him. However, it should be part of the equation. It, it is a it is part of a cumulative case against Calvinism in the same way that it's part of a cumulative case against eternal conscious torment. Um, the character of God does matter and it's not like we just ignore that emotional argument. Yeah, it's not sufficient and I think his example of same-sex union is a better example because that's one that I struggle with like why would God prohibit this? And at the end of the day I'm like well there doesn't seem to be any scriptural support for same-sex unions, therefore I have to lay aside my 21st century western presuppositions here. And so I think that's a, a good example, but it's definitely should should be part of the equation. Um, how how it paints God and how it paints God's character.
0: Yeah. And, and my, my bottom line to this, um, and I, I guess maybe, maybe I, I end up disagreeing with, with the listener who emailed as much as I appreciate what he shared and kind of agreed a little bit with his, his rebuke, a bit of, of David Eicher's rant. Um, but I do feel ultimately if we come to a point that's hard, a theology point that's hard, like if I believe, for example, that women should not be lead pastors in the church preaching the word of God with authority in a formal setting with mixed people, if I actually believe that, that sometimes makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. I need to acknowledge the uncomfortableness of it. And what I usually hear from like a Calvinist is, No, no, no. If you're uncomfortable with saying that God is sovereign, that just means you don't love God enough. You don't understand God enough. And the only reason you're uncomfortable with this is because there's something wrong with you. And that mindset of, if I'm uncomfortable with this, I have to kind of deny it and and shout louder (laughs) on the weak point. I, I don't think that's honest. And I don't think that that's constructive. So yeah, if I'm working with somebody and they are wrestling with same-sex sex attraction and they say, I don't see this in the ethic of Jesus, but this is really hard for me because I'm not attracted to women. Rather than saying, well, you just need to to grow a pair and you just need to step up and you just need to, to be more of a man. I need to acknowledge the challenge of that.
1: Sure. Speaking of same-sex unions, shall we give a little bit of a plug for our upcoming series?
0: I think we've already done that. But if you wanted yeah, to you,
1: self-promote the
0: next episode, you're welcome to do that.
1: Yeah, we're We're actually doing our first series on the Jesus podcast on sex and gender. Um, so like Drew pointed out earlier, we've got Preston on for the next episode, and we also have him on later to talk about transgender. We've got folks like Ash Whitmer, my brother. Talking about pornography, and so it should go a couple, couple, a couple episodes long. Um, But everyone, stay with us, and wow, I really
0: have (laughs) to. It just started sounding like it'll be the best podcast series you have ever heard you will (laughs) just have a mind blown come on I was
1: just just trying to do this in a way that didn't sound like self-promotional and it's probably been the most self-promotional thing I've ever done on this podcast
0: no it sounded pretty lame to be honest the way you said it all
1: (laughs) oh anyway I was gonna maybe play some clips from the upcoming episodes but that sounds like work so everyone just subscribe and stay tuned
0: yeah thanks for listening
1: peace That Jesus podcast is part of the Kingdom Outpost podcast network. For more podcasts, articles, and other resources, go to kingdomoutpost.org.